Welcome to Gestational Diabetes Club. I'm your host, Helena, dietitian, nutritionist, vegetable enthusiast, and big fan of strong coffee and dark chocolate. Join me here each week to chat about all things gestational diabetes. We'll cover everything you need to know about your nutrition, lifestyle, and all the messy bits in between so that you can feel empowered to optimize your blood sugar, grow a healthy baby, and create sustainable healthy habits to last a whole lifetime without the stress, overwhelm, guilt, or confusion. Thanks so much for joining me, and I hope you love it here. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the pod. Hope you're doing well. Now today I want to talk to you about artificial sweeteners and the main reason for this is because the World Health Organization has just released a new guideline around artificial sweeteners based on the findings of a really big systematic review Um, and obviously it's also probably fairly relevant for you anyway because I imagine with gestational diabetes you're probably leaning towards things that are more artificially sweetened because you're worried about getting the blood sugar spike from things that are high in sugar. So for a lot of people, I know they do tend to go towards those foods that have got artificial sweeteners in them to make them taste good, especially if you want desserts and things like that. So basically though, this new guideline has been in the news a fair bit. You might have heard about it or come across it and it's fairly alarmist. What they've said is that there may be potential undesirable effects from long-term use of artificial sweeteners such as increased risk of type 2 diabetes, cardiovascular diseases, and mortality in adults. And they've also suggested that artificial sweeteners don't offer any long-term benefit in reducing body weight in adults or children. So we'll get into all of the results in the study in a minute. But first of all, I just wanted to give some context around this. So what even are artificial sweeteners and what are we actually talking about here? So basically, artificial sweeteners are food additives or food chemicals that are used as a substitute for sugar. So generally, they're far, far sweeter than sugar is. So they're used in tiny amounts in foods and we don't process them the same way as we would normal sugar. So That means that they have a pretty negligible impact on calorie intake and theoretically won't raise your blood sugar, though I know that there are anecdotal reports that things can raise blood sugar. Now, this category includes things like stevia, sucralose, aspartame, saccharin, I don't know how to say this, ulcerosalfime, potassium, um, and they've got various numbers like 950 and 951 things that you might see on ingredients lists. Now, this category doesn't include natural sugar substitutes like monk fruit extract or sugar alcohols like erythritol, sorbitol, and mannitol, basically anything ending in ol, which are based on carbohydrates, and they contribute a small amount of calories to the things that we eat that contain those, but they weren't covered in this review, so we're not applying any of this information to those things. Just keep that in mind. So why do we use artificial sweeteners? Well, this is pretty self-explanatory. We know there are health risks associated with high intakes of sugar and the World Health Organization recommends we keep our intake of added sugars to less than 10% of our total diet. So for an average intake and just for ease, we can consider this around 10 teaspoons or 50 grams per day. And excess sugar intake can be a really big driver of increased weight, inflammation, insulin resistance, and associated diseases that stem from there, 
like metabolic disease, type 2 diabetes, cardiovascular disease, you know, those long-term chronic diseases. So it does make sense that artificial sweeteners exist as we look for new novel ways to get the same flavor profile into those foods without the negative consequences. So what do we need to know? Okay, this really big systematic review was done by the World Health Organization looking into artificial sweeteners to assess their impact on health. And then this year, like I said, they updated um, the guidelines with the findings of that review. So it's a really big study. I've saved you the headache of needing to read through it. And I did it myself and it took a really long time to read through it all and actually properly interpret it because Obviously, as well, like when you're reading something quite scientific, you've really got to be concentrating. So it took me a little while to actually properly read through everything. But it's a big study. So they did a big systematic review and meta-analysis. So that means that they've collated a whole bunch of different studies and looked at all of the available evidence on artificial sweeteners, including the ones I listed earlier and a few more and looked at their impacts on body weight, type 2 diabetes, cardiovascular disease, cancer, dental caries, chronic kidney disease, eating behavior, sweet preferences, neurocognition, mood and behavior, and asthma and allergies in kids, and pregnancy and birth outcomes. So they went back and actually picked up even more studies that had been left out of a previous review that had been done, and they added in more data. So A total of 283 studies were included in this review, so it was massive. And there were quite a mix of different study designs, so they had some of those more traditional experimental designs like randomized control trials and other observational studies which look at people across time. So they're like cohort, case control, and cross-sectional studies. So I hope this isn't too dry, but I thought that what I would do is just kind of go through some of those relevant categories and give you basically the main outcomes. So let's run through. In terms of weight, they had 32 randomized controlled trials and 13 observational studies looking at weight that they included. And the randomized control trials, so the more experimental ones, like found that artificial sweeteners reduced weight by about 700 grams. But the observational studies found the opposite. So that's pretty conflicting. And the reduction in weight in those randomized control trials just really came down to the fact that in most of those studies, they just compared existing sugar in somebody's diet with an artificially sweetened option. So therefore, they were just actually taking calories out of somebody's diet. So therefore, they were predicted to lose weight and they did. But it's interesting that over time, like in those more natural settings in the observational studies, they didn't find that when people were using artificial sweeteners, it actually had any impact on body weight. The observational studies didn't really find an effect on hunger and there was a slight decrease in satisfaction, but maybe an increase in appetite. They did find that people who were habitually high consumers of artificial sweeteners seemed to have a tendency to eat and drink more and eat more frequently throughout the day, which is kind of interesting. Um, And sugar intake reduced when artificial sweeteners were used as a replacement, which is pretty obvious. It's interesting because it's commonly thought that people would eat more because their body's like expecting calories that it isn't actually receiving when it's having artificially sweetened drinks and things. 
but it was actually found in one of those randomized control trials that those people who regularly drink artificially sweetened drinks actually had a lower appetite in response to the sweet taste than those who didn't regularly have them, which was pretty conflicting with some of the other studies, but just interesting to point out. So then in terms of type 2 diabetes, 12 observational studies looked at the risk of developing type 2 diabetes based on the intake of artificial sweeteners and found that this seemed to increase the likelihood. So then 21 of the randomized control trials and three of the observational studies looked at people who already had type 2 diabetes and those experimental randomized control trials didn't see an impact on blood sugar but the observational studies saw a rise in fasting blood sugar. We can't really explain that, but it is pretty interesting to think that using artificial sweeteners could increase your fasting blood sugar and make your risk of type 2 diabetes go up. And I suspect that there are other factors involved there. And then looking at cardiovascular disease, these were mostly observational studies because obviously it's a really long-term outcome that we're looking at. So four studies observed that having a high intake of artificial sweeteners was associated with a 19% higher risk of death. Three studies saw a 32% higher risk of cardiovascular events. Five studies saw a 19% increased risk of stroke. And four studies saw a 13% increased risk of hypertension. However, there were some studies that weren't included in the overall meta-analysis, including some randomized control trials, which showed the opposite. So again, some really conflicting information there. Looking at cancer, there was no impact on death, and 48 studies looked at the development of cancer and found no association between artificial sweeteners and any types of cancers. I think that's quite interesting because one of the things that you commonly see on the internet is that everything causes cancer and particularly around like artificial sweeteners and things, but please be reassured that it's very unlikely that there is an association between using artificial sweeteners and getting cancer. In saying that, there was one type of artificial sweetener called saccharin, which was associated with an increased risk of bladder cancer, but I feel like all of this is fairly shaky evidence, so don't take that as gospel and think that you're going to get bladder cancer if you ever consume that. Um, And then if we look at cognition, there were only two studies that looked at this, but both of them were associated with an increased risk of Alzheimer's disease when consuming artificial sweeteners. But now let's get on to pregnancy. So two studies showed no, no association with consumption of artificial sweeteners and brain cancer in children. One observational study that followed children up for seven years post-pregnancy found that there was lower cognition in those whose mums who had been high consumers of artificial sweeteners. But again, I wonder what other external factors were going on there. Two studies found no association with the development of gestational diabetes, though one cross-sectional study did find an association. So even then, we've, we've only got three total studies looking into gestational diabetes, so it's really barely anything that you can um, cling to. And the one study that did find that association a cross-sectional study so it means that they're only looking at things at one particular moment in time so it doesn't really actually give you a very good picture of what's going on. Three observational studies found an increased risk of late preterm birth 
So that's between around 34 and 37 weeks for people having artificial sweeteners. And it was similar for people who were in a lean body versus overweight. And it seemed to be people being medically induced rather than going into spontaneous labor at that time point. One study found that there was a twofold likelihood of the bub being considered overweight by one year with daily intake of artificial sweeteners during pregnancy. But again, that's one study. And then again, there was only one study, but it did find that those with gestational diabetes who were consuming more than one artificially sweetened drink per day had a higher risk of bub being overweight by seven years. And one study found that having more than one artificially sweetened drink per day increased the risk of your bub having asthma and allergic rhinitis. And two observational studies found an increase in gestational weight gain, so weight gained whilst you're pregnant. And then one study found that after pregnancy, women who had gestational diabetes having more than two artificially sweetened drinks per week compared to less than four per month were associated with a higher fasting blood sugar level, HbA1c, and which is that um, average blood glucose measure, and obesity. So sorry if some of that went over your head because I know that that was pretty long and pretty dry just trying to read to you what all of those outcomes were. But my main takeaway there is that it's pretty easy to feel alarmist about this study when you look at the headline and take those findings in isolation. Just saying that artificial sweeteners leads to diabetes, heart disease and death. It feels really, really scary. And some of those outcomes feel kind of scary as well. But when you actually do take a minute to look at what these findings are saying, it's really not so clear and it's really likely not as bad as it sounds on the surface. And the thing is as well, the World Health Organization isn't saying go back to having sugar. Like they're not saying get rid of the artificial sweeteners and reintroduce like all the sugar back into your diet either. They're not saying that. I think it's kind of, well, what's the lesser of two evils here? And the way that I think about it is more from the context of like, well, what does the rest of your diet look like if you're somebody who is having a lot of those artificially sweetened foods? Because chances are somebody who's having a whole lot of artificially sweetened drinks like Diet Coke and Coke Zero and things like that really often may well have quite a lot of other processed foods and Um, a lower quality diet overall. And that may be for a variety of different reasons that might not necessarily be within their control. They might live somewhere where they're really isolated and it's hard to get to the shops and they're working two jobs and they don't have time to cook and prepare food. And, you know, there could be so many different things going on that mean that somebody is in that position. So I'm not casting judgment whatsoever. But I do wonder if it's more of an association of lifestyle factors going on as opposed to those artificially sweetened drinks in isolation that's having this effect. So especially because it's more so those observational studies that were finding more of these negative outcomes, right? So when we're looking at observational studies, yes, those papers, they can be trying to control for these external variables, but At the end of the day, it's fairly impossible to be able to control for everything and to really isolate those findings. So my biggest takeaway is that it's unclear. 
And if you're confused or you can't keep up with everything I was talking about, look, I totally agree because I, like I said at the start, I found it took me ages to actually properly read and interpret everything that, um, that I read in this study. So quite a lot of the research is conflicting. A lot of it's low quality and a lot of it's inconclusive. So it's a pretty big reach to put a blanket statement out like artificial sweeteners are bad for you. So the biggest flaw, like I said, that I see in all of this is that it's just so hard to control for all of the variables in observational studies. And it's interesting that in a lot of the short-term data from the randomized control trials, the findings were quite positive. But in the longer term, in those observational studies, the effects were overall more negative. And it's likely that the participants who experienced more of those negative health outcomes, like type 2 diabetes and heart disease, already had underlying risk factors, um, whether they be related to genetics, lifestyle, or other social determinants. So a lot of the studies and this study aim to control for that in their analysis, but it would just be so hard, like I said, to totally eliminate that effect entirely. And we just have no idea about some of the factors that would be playing into it all. And another flaw is that, you know, those randomized control trials, they didn't often use a proper comparator. So they were usually looking at artificially sweetened drinks instead of sugary drinks, but they didn't necessarily have a control group in either of them. So just a group that was drinking water, say, (laughs) So when we see a weight reduction with artificially sweetened drinks, for example, it's not really because the sweetener is doing anything magic. It's just because the people gave up the extra sugar and therefore the extra calories from the sugary drink. So it's really hard to say what's actually going on in those studies. Or I mean, it's not hard because you can just see that it's a calorie reduction leading to the weight reduction. Um, And another thing that we really need to address is that we don't actually have an explanation for these findings. Like, yes, these are associations, but we don't know why or how the artificial sweeteners could even be responsible for the health outcomes that were studied, especially given that in the short-term research, the sweeteners don't really seem to make much difference to metabolic markers. So, for example, how the randomized control trials didn't see an impact on blood sugar levels, but weirdly observational studies suggested that over a long period, there would be a higher fasting blood sugar level. And another thing that they missed is the impact on the gut microbiome, which could potentially explain some of those longer, longer term effects. And small pieces of data do exist to suggest that artificial sweeteners alter the gut microbiome, but all of our research into the gut is still pretty new. It's limited and we just don't have all of the dots joined together right now. But we do know that the gut has a big impact on the cardiometabolic outcomes we see. So where does this leave you? Are you worried that you have been making a critical error having things like Yopro and sugar-free treats and Diet Coke and that you have done a terrible thing that's going to harm you and your baby? Well, probably not. I don't think that it's that black and white. So we don't have all of the details of all the people in the observational studies who were found to have those negative health outcomes. And like I said, what if some of those participants lived in a rural town with limited food supply, were of low socioeconomic status, were too busy working, two jobs to cook or exercise or get enough sleep or, you know, had high 
consumption of heavily processed foods and takeaway foods, and that was associated with artificial sweetened beverage consumption as well, and therefore those negative health outcomes. Like Those factors alone are likely to predispose someone to metabolic conditions later in life. So it's just so hard to say without knowing all those details. And we could compare that to somebody who includes foods like Yopro for convenience and to get some more protein in, um, occasionally enjoys a Diet Coke and some other treat, but also regularly eats five to seven serves of vegetables per day and has an overall really well-balanced diet, exercises regularly, has enough money and time to cook nutritious meals and generally looks after themselves. The outcomes there might be pretty different. And their overall level of risk is likely to be much lower just based on all of those external factors. So remember as well that this review is not suggesting that you ditch artificial sweeteners in favour of sugar. So we still know that high sugar consumption is detrimental to health outcomes. And from my perspective, artificial sweeteners can be a really great gateway into making healthier choices. So for example, if you're somebody who currently has three full sugar Cokes per day, then switching to Diet Coke is obviously going to be a smart decision in terms of reducing your overall sugar consumption, which I would argue is probably like more harmful to your overall health. And also, let's just keep in mind that this study, again, like I said at the start, didn't include things like monk fruit extract and erythritol, and they might have a more favorable outlook. We don't know that, so we're still waiting for more research there. But at the end of the day, I think that it just comes back down to pretty standard recommendations. So try to limit the amount of processed foods in your diet, eat mostly whole foods, Aim for lots of different colours. I always tell you aim for 30 different plant foods per week and three different colours on your plate at your main meals. Use water as your default drink. Don't beat yourself up if sometimes you want to have a treat and whether that be a full sugar treat or whether that be an artificially sweetened treat, I think that that is a personal decision. But please don't use lots of artificially sweetened things in place of other more whole food, more nutritious, more beneficial foods in your diet. I think that that's really the key here is to just be focusing on those whole foods, focusing on having a real, really high quality diet, not just because of the outcomes of this particular study, but just looking at things in a broader context and knowing that during pregnancy, a lot of those micronutrient needs are really high. And you need to be optimizing what you're eating because the first thousand days of your baby's life are just so, so important when you're really laying down the foundations and can give them the best start in life possible. You really want to be maximizing that. So really just focusing on on your nutrition at this time is going to be a positive thing regardless. And I think take this information with a grain of salt, to be honest, and don't freak out. Don't overthink it. But look, I really hope that this episode has given you some reassurance and some insight into what this headline is all about if you have come across it. So I I think just don't overthink it. Just keep putting one foot in front of the other. Keep having a really high quality diet, focusing on your lifestyle, and you're absolutely doing the right thing. And please reach out if you do need further support. I always like to mention that I do run a six-week coaching package for women with gestational diabetes. So in that package, we have weekly calls. I'd have daily check-ins with you over a messaging app. 
and I create really customized meal plans for you every two weeks, which are not prescriptive. They're really, really, really flexible. It's mostly giving you meal ideas that are all portioned out in terms of making sure you're getting the right number of calories and carbs and things like that. And I take care of all those numbers so that you don't have to worry about it, basically. So you don't have to spend ages like trying to understand what your calorie requirement and carbohydrate requirements are. I just do that in the background and then I give you some delicious recipes so that you can go away and incorporate those and some snack ideas and things like that. So it's really still flexible. It's not very prescriptive and just giving you that guidance that you need. And then I'm really there as a sounding board. So we're checking in all the time. You can tell me your blood sugar numbers, tell me what's going on. We can just really map out the best approach for you to optimize things and to make sure you're getting all of those micronutrients that I mentioned before. So that's certainly an option. Please reach out if you would like to get in touch about that. The best way is on Instagram where I also share lots of information about GD. And I am at nutrition.by.helena on there. And you can also go onto my website page. So I've got a just an info page and it is www.nutritionbyhelena.com. That is linked in my bio on Instagram as well. And it should be in the show notes too. So you can head there to find out some more. But that's it from me. Have a great day. See you later. That is it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. And if you haven't already, please make sure that you subscribe or hit the plus button so that you can get new episodes delivered straight to your podcast app every week. And if you did find this episode useful, I would appreciate it so, so much if you could leave a rating and review or share it with a friend. It helps me reach more people so that I can help them take some of the stress out of gestational diabetes too. And if you want to keep learning about all things gestational diabetes, head to my website to find all the ways that I can support you. Thanks so much. Chat soon. Bye.